Will you stand with us this morning?
37, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. He set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Oh Lord God, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And it says, And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So as we sing this next part out, we're calling out to these dry bones, live, hear the word of the Lord. church you may clap <laughs> I always tell first service when we open with that I'm like if you were not awake or got your espresso prior you are very much alive now I am sure of it um, I'm Trachi the worship arts director here this is Kendra my friend you haven't seen her in a minute she's like please don't clap for me <laughs> oh she used to be here almost every Sunday so it's always a joy to have her visit but I'm like always I will invite you in this space to just allow God to move and work in your hearts Bob always says that worship isn't just some kind of intro. We're not here singing songs, and that's the end of worship. It, it's, it's like you prepare your hearts for what God's doing, but in these moments still, he can speak to you individually because he's a God that cares individually and personally about where you're at. So I just encourage that as we continue singing. Sleeper to wake. It's time for. 
sing this out open up the windows let the light in father we invite you here open up the windows let the light in open up the windows let the light in open up the windows let the light in let the light in let the light in open up the windows let the light in open up the windows let the light in Open up the windows, let the light in, let the light in, let the light in.
pray in this time that we have here it's always so fleeting and we can get caught up in a lot of things that don't matter but I pray that when we ask for your will when we ask for more of you we realize that you're in your own time that there's a season for everything and it's not always happy some seasons are heavy some seasons take more and they require more. I pray that however we are here in this now, we remember that you're enough and that when we ask for you, we ask for your will on heaven as it is in earth, that you be glorified in our hearts, whether or not it's a happy day or it's a heavy day. But God, just please renew us in this space. Spirit out, pour your spirit out. 
redeemed Prophesy and sing We can hear the wind As we sing, pour your spirit out. continue to move in our hearts in this time where we are slow to speak and open to what you have to say to us. May we be soft and tender as you do your work gently. We love you and praise you, and it's in your name we pray these things. And the church said, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Not many are outside. I don't think anyone's outside. It's cold outside. Some of you are nice and warm in your pajamas. We love you, too. Glad you're here, sort of, with us. Uh, no, we really are glad you're here. I love how, again, our worship in our church at Grace Point is not, in a sense, just a warm-up. It's part of the real deal. One thing that if you've been around our church, uh, you realize that uh, we don't just sing songs that... Uh, sound cool, but they really are, uh, and we, we are careful that they are scripturally correct. And, and you've, 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 you've sung some words. I hope they came from your heart. Uh, Jesus said, and we looked at that a couple weeks ago, that we should worship with our heart and our head, in spirit and in truth. A couple statements that basically resonated with my heart this morning 
um, that really are biblically correct. I just kind of want to set the stage for where we're going to go this morning in Mark 14. And uh, open the windows. Let the light in. Uh, I'm not going to sing it for you. You're welcome. But the idea, though, you know, there's light. And we have a part to play in how much light we receive. We need to be open. We need to be seeking, knocking, asking, opening the window. The last song, we desire a fresh wind from heaven. Just like light, there's, there's, there's wind outside. How do you get the wind in here? Got to open a door. Got to open up a window. You got you to gotta let the wind in. Here's my question for you. In a crowd this size, some of you this morning. Now, we've all needed it before, and we will all need it again. Some of you right now, you need a fresh wind. You need something of God that is new right now, something fresh, because life has been hard. It's been uphill, and you're smiling, you're showing up, but there's something of God's spirit you need this morning. Here's the good news. Open your windows, open your hearts. You don't just have to sing it and hope it is a good thing to sing. It is scripturally correct. God, I desire a fresh wind from you. You have a part to play in that. More than just opening up your heart, there are some examples of scripture that we can go ahead and follow. And uh, no better than Jesus himself. You're going to see Jesus this morning in Mark chapter 14. He's in the dirt. I'm calling this message Praying in the Dirt. If you have your note sheet, I would encourage you to take it out. And if you have your Bible, turn to Mark 14, verse 32. You know, there's a lot of times Jesus prayed. I think this is the only time he prayed in the dirt. He prayed with a heavy heart. He needed a fresh wind from heaven. What was his part? And, and then how did this happen? That's where we're going to go after. So we've been in this series for a long time. And uh, we've been in Mark for a long time, 16 chapters. We're halfway through Mark chapter 14. We're closing in on Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection. This is right in the middle of this Passion Week. It started in Mark chapter 11, Palm Sunday. And then soon it's going to be Easter Sunday. But this morning, it's Thursday. It's Thursday evening. He just spent some time in the upper room with his 12 and then his 11 because Judas got up and left. Then after this Passover Seder dinner that he had, symbolizing what is coming, what he will endure for you and I. Then they leave the upper room. They leave Jerusalem. They go out through the east gate, they go down to and through the Kidron Valley, then they start going up the slope called the Mount of Olives, really more of a hill, and it's basically just a stone's throw from the east gate. It's not far. So he goes, and they go up the, the western side of this Mount of Olives to a place called Gethsemane. It's a garden. It's still there. And that's where Jesus often went, and this is where we find him on a Thursday night. I want you to uh, 
lean into the changes in Jesus' heart before the garden, during the garden, and then after the garden. And then once we see the change in his heart, let's, let's ask how. how what, what caused the change? And we're going to unpack a little bit, and then we're going to get into our hearts as well. So let's go ahead and dive right on in. Mark chapter 14, where we left off last Sunday. Let's, let's dive into Mark 14, verse 32. So, and they, the 11, uh, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, eight of them, sit here while I pray. Eight said, sure. And then he takes with him three, Peter, James, and John, kind of an inner circle, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to the three, my, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. If you have your Bibles, digital, physical, circle remain here and watch. We're going to go back to there. Because he says something a little bit later on, a little different, but very insightful. Remain here. I'm going to go right over there. Remain here and watch. It's interesting that he began to be, notice what it says, greatly distressed and troubled, very sorrowful. That happened in the garden. That was not what he was feeling before the garden. Matter of fact, we've been going through the gospel of Mark. He was calm. Confident, clear, passionate about what must be done. He said it. He taught it. He reminded as many people who had ears to hear that he came to die. Let me just give you a little bit of that because pre-garden, there was a sense of clarity and confidence. I would say a peace to this mission that he had to pull off for you and I, and for the sins of the world. Uh, Mark chapter 10, 45. It's a good summary verse for Jesus' life. He came to die. For even the Son of Man, Jesus said, and that was him, capital S. That's the Daniel 7 prophetic description of God the Son who's coming down from the heavens to rule. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. I didn't come here to be served. I came to serve in a very specific way, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew he came to die. There was no doubt. There was no struggle. There was no distress. There was no sorrow. There was clarity. There was confidence. Mark 10, take a look at John chapter 10. He says, look, make no mistake. No one's going to mug me and drag me to experience what I don't want to experience. No, I will give up my own life. John 10, 17, I lay down my life that I may take it up again, the resurrection. No one takes it from me, but I, I lay it down of my own accord. Why? Because this is my mission. This charge I have received from my father. Clear, confident. He knows it's coming. He's, he's teaching, he's reminding, and he's preparing his heart. 
Mark 11 shows up, Palm Sunday. He, he rides in on a, on a donkey. He talks about the kingdom. And then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, he teaches and he, and he, and he reminds people about his death and resurrection. Some hear it, some refuse to hear it. And then uh, Mark chapter 14, the last couple of weeks, we looked at in the chapter where we are. So before he gets to Jerusalem, he's in Bethany. Uh, typically, he's hanging out with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in their house in Bethany. Now there's a dinner banquet, remember? And he's in the home of Simon the leper, a little bit larger place. And they want to have a dinner party for Jesus because he's healed so many. He's done so many good things. And, and, and so he's there. And remember what Mary does? Mary breaks this alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume. Everybody thought that was a bad idea, except Jesus and Mary. And so Mary breaks this alabaster jar and pours it on, on, her, on, on his head. And everybody says, boy, that could have fed a lot of people. And Jesus says, don't scold her. What she has done for me was very beautiful because she has anointed my head for my death. He knows it's coming. And then a, a little bit later, he goes from Bethany to Jerusalem to an upper room. And this is the Thursday night where they have the Passover dinner, the Seder, where they have this orderly script that they have been following as a Jewish people since 1446 BC. You don't mess with the script. It's all about how God saved them from Egyptian slavery. And God's going to go ahead and continue to bring another deliverer. So they have this dinner. And, so, and, they, and they always look back. And, and, and the oldest in, in, in the room breaks the matzah. And it says, this is how the slavery was broken from our forefathers. Do you remember what Jesus did? He broke the script last Sunday. Snap. This is my body. That is about to be offered up for you. He knew he, he came to die. And then he takes the cup of deliverance, this, this cup of wine. It's no longer, is it, is it in a sense prophetic? It's, it's now, this is symbolic of my blood that will soon to be shed. There's no distress. There's no sorrow. There's no, there's no struggle. There's confidence. There's clarity. There's, there's, there's passion to his mission. What changed? Now he's greatly distressed. He is sorrowful. He's troubled. Grace Point Church and the, and the rest of you, I hope you can get your theology around that. Don't squint at that. Stare into it. Jesus was all God. He was all mad, all man, and he was struggling. As a matter of fact, he, he's going to ask a very specific prayer. God, I don't want this to happen. In a sense, I know I've taught it. I know I've said it. I know I've repeated it. But now when it's close, is it really necessary? He had a heavy heart. Matter of fact, uh, I would say on your outline, I think he was lacking peace in the garden. And so he had this troubled heart. It wasn't a peaceful heart. And that is a good time to pray is when you have a lack of peace over what you believe God is calling you to do. Have you been there? I've been there. I know what God wants. Is there another way to please him? I'd rather not drink this cup. I'd rather not go through this. I'd rather go around this. Thank you. I told the first service, you know, some of you, not going to get too graphic, but many of you have had moments where 
the doctors or the nurses or the PAs ask you to put on the gown that opens in the back, right? And, and so, and you have pending surgery and you know it's coming and you're okay with it. it, it you're, you're peaceful until they roll you into the room. I've been there a couple of times. Oh my, this is really happening. Your heart starts to beat a little faster and you see the people like, wow, this, this is no longer what's coming. This is, this is what's happening. It's a little bit different story. That's what Jesus was experiencing here. He was calm, cool, collected, confident, clear. And then he's wearing the gown that opens in the back and he's about to get rolled in. And he's lacking peace. So let's talk about this. Let's now go back from his Thursday night to your Sunday morning. Let me give you something on your outline. You might want to take a look at this because if you're not here, you're going to be here again. And it's really out of control because you are not in control of when one, two, or three of what I'm going to talk about happens in your heart. Here's the first one. I'm calling these prayer prompters. The third one, limited peace, is what Jesus experienced that prompted him to pray in the dirt. We'll get to him in a minute. But there's two others that Jesus did not experience, but we experience. And may your awareness of your limitation cause you to pray the way Jesus prayed. Here's the first one, limited passion. No, that's not Jesus he stayed passionate to bring glory to his father to, to accomplish his mission if it was essential. That's what he's praying. Is there any other way? I'd rather not drink this cup. Please take it from me. Is there another way? Is there another room I could be rolled into? Because I don't want to roll into this one. I do not want to experience what's coming. Well, he didn't lack passion, but sometimes you and I do. God, I know what you want me to do. I don't want to do it. I don't desire it. I know that you probably, as you've done in the past, give me power to do it. But I don't have a desire to even ask for the power. Take a Galatians 5.17. This is a classic passage that I've been there. The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. It's got this civil war going inside. For these are opposed to each other. There's the desire battle going on. When you have limited desire to be rolled in and to be faithful to what God's calling you to do, it's a good time to pray. Limited power. Have you ever had desire but lacked the power? God, I, I want to forgive. And I'm amazed that I'm even saying that out loud because there was a time I didn't want to. But I want to forgive the way you've forgiven me, but I just can't. God, I want to go ahead and remove myself from this unhealthy relationship. You've nudged me. It's not healthy for me. But somehow my identity is attached to him, her, or them. God, I need your power to do what I know I need to do. God, there is this habit in my life. I want it out, but I can't do it on my own. I lack power. So when you have limited power, but you have some desire, 
that's a good time to pray. Take a look at Romans 7, 15 through 18. This is an issue, not of desire, but of power, of ability. For what I do not do, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do it, but not the ability to carry it out. Well, that's not Jesus either, because Jesus knew, and he tapped in the Holy Spirit's power for, for, for since he was born. And uh, especially this last three and a half years during his public ministry, he was filled and fueled with the Holy Spirit. He knew power was available. Now, Jesus' issue in the garden was a lack of peace. He had a troubled heart. And so again, this is the last one, limited peace. It's not a sin to have a lack of peace. It's not a sin to say, God, I'd rather not experience this. God, the doctor says this, or my child said that, or my boss emailed me with whatever. I'd rather he, they say, do something else. I'd rather what faithfulness looks like goes another route. There's nothing wrong with that. That's exactly what Jesus was praying without sin. But he had a limited peace. And I think a good example of, of, of what Paul says a little bit later on is, do not be anxious about anything. If, if you're struggling with anxiety, if, if you have a distressed heart, if you have a troubled heart, that's a good time to pray. God, you don't want me to live like this. You want me to have the peace that passes all, all understanding. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. If you don't have peace, it's, it, it's, it's a good time. It's a good time to pray. So again, uh, let, let's, let's, let's move on a little bit more. So take a look at now back in Mark, Mark 14, verse 35 and 36. So then Jesus goes into the garden, and boy, it's kind of like I'm getting rolled into the room, and his heart's getting heavy. It's coming. He knows if things don't change, this is where I'm going to be arrested. And so he leaves the eight, and he takes the three a little bit farther in. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground, that's why it says praying in the dirt. He just collapses. He fell on the ground and then he prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He knows it's coming. And then he said, Abba, Dada, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. That's pretty clear. God, I don't want this in front of me. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Notice something in this passage. First thing he says, if it were possible, and then he says all things are possible. He knows God is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's saying if it's possible that this sin situation can be solved without my blood, without experiencing what is coming, can we come up with a plan B? How's that for being honest, yeah? And so he had, a, he had limited peace in the garden, greatly distressed, troubled, very sorrowful. He falls on the ground. Matter of fact, I grew up with this painting. Some of you remember this one. Back in San Antonio's Texas Sunday School, I remember hearing this story and seeing this picture and uh, you can't see it, but he has blue eyes. 
and uh, he has nice, clean brown hair, uh, wonderful robes that are beautiful and, and smell wonderful. And that is the picture that many people have of Jesus praying in the garden. He's calm. He's clean. He's confident. Hands folded. Is that what we just read? That's not what we just read. He was low on the ground, and he was struggling. He was all God, but he was all man. I think some of you, you're getting frustrated right about now. No, 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 that's not my Jesus. Well, but that is the Jesus. He really was all God, but he was struggling in the garden. I love how he went through, the Bible says, every temptation. He went through every challenge so that he can relate with you and I. So let's keep going here. Luke 22 is a parallel passage of Mark 14. Notice how Luke describes Jesus in the garden. He wasn't on top of a rock with nice clean clothes and clean hair and blue eyes and folded hands. No. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Remember back in verse 36, Abba, Father, remove this cup from me. It's interesting that Jesus taught a lot about his heavenly Father, his heavenly Abba. This is the first time in the entire gospel where he starts one of his prayers with Abba. He gets very personal in this garden where he knows what's coming. I think two summary truths about Jesus' prayer life Personal and persistent. And I'll talk to you about persistence in just a little bit, but it's very personal. You need a personal God. And here's the good news. You have one that's available. So Jesus broke down before his Abba. But notice what it says here. Uh, remove this cup. What does that mean? Well, definitely it was the crucifixion. But it was more than the physical crucifixion. He didn't want it. He hoped to avoid it. But that wasn't the focus of his request. Let's go there first, though. And we're going to get there when we go through Mark. But the crucifixion did not start on a cross. No. It started hours before when he was stripped naked, when he was spit on when he was blindfolded and beaten with a stick and then he was strapped with a bare back and then he was flogged over and over and over 39 times they learned how to get someone so close to death and then I'm not going to let you die yet so they beat him to a pulp. They rip his skin and break his back open. And then they don't kill him. It's interesting. They think they're in charge. They're not in charge. His heavenly father is in charge. He's going to die at just the right time. We'll talk about that in a couple Sundays from now. But then after that, he carries half of his cross down to the streets. And then he's hung on it. Hear me. That is not what he's asking to not experience. The cup that he's asking is the sin of the world that would be put on him, figuratively poured 
into him. That's what he was not wanting. He knows how sin separates. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, eternity, trinity. He's never known nothing but intimacy with his heavenly Father. And he knows that when this is put on him, there will be a separation of what she's never experienced. He didn't want it. Talk with someone after the first service. Well, how long was the separation? I don't know. But I do know that it was around the time when he said, why have you forsaken me? For the first time, where are you? I don't, I don't hear you. I can't see you. Daddy. And that's how he died. He didn't want that. No one would want that. And he was asking God to take that cup from him. So let, let's keep going here. So let I me mean, talk about this, removing his cup. Second Corinthians 5, Paul talks about this. It says, for our sake, Jesus uh, was made sin. He was not sin. He was never sinned. But notice what it says. For, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. The idea there, he made him to experience the weight and the result of sin. And that is ultimately the separation from he and his heavenly father so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he experienced the separation so we can experience the reconciliation. And he paid that price. So let's go back now to Mark chapter 14. So notice this, though. It's really interesting. And he came and he found them sleeping. So he prays, God, please, no. Please remove this cup from me. He came and found them sleeping, uh, Peter, James, and John. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could, could you not watch just one hour? And notice what he says. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Um, back in verse 34, I encourage you to circle, remain here and watch. I think there's a shift here. He takes the three and says, remain right here. I'm going to go right over there. Remain here and watch. Watch what? Watch me. And then in verse 38, not just remain and watch. Now that you've seen me, pray like me. He's always training. Notice what he says in verse 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. I'm praying about my struggles. I want you to pray about your struggles the same way. Don't miss that. Because he knows that they and you and I, we're going to go ahead and be exposed to one, two, or three of limited desire, power, or peace. And Jesus says, I'm modeling for you what to do. And this is how to pray at that time. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And now verse 39 and 40. And again, he went away and prayed the same words. Why on earth would Jesus pray the same thing? Did he think that his Abba was forgetful? Is, is this nagging? When does persistence become a lack of faith for you and I? We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But Jesus obviously prayed the same words twice. And again, he came back and found them again sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer. I mean, a little bit of 
embarrassment there on, on their part. They really wanted to, but the flesh was weak. And then verse 41, and it came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour isn't coming. The hour has come. The son of man, that would be he, is betrayed into the hand of sinners. In a sense, look, here come the torches. Middle of the night, uh, he could be looking because the eastern gate is higher than they were. And uh, so he could see them just coming out or they could have been just coming into the garden. Everybody has their hoodies on. Um, There's a few people up front and the Roman soldiers. And he says, yeah, it's, it's, it's happening. But one thing I want you to see here in verse 42, notice he's no longer distressed. He's no longer struggling. He's no longer troubled. He's no longer in agony. What happened in the garden? Pre-garden, calm, cool, and collected. In the garden, distressed, anguished, agonizing, asking, no, no, no. Please, please, please. And then when it's here, he's confident again. He's clear-minded. There's no struggling here. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. My question for you is why? What happened in the garden? The same thing that can happen to you and I when we are in our gardens, when we are struggling with either a limited desire and or limited power and or a limited peace. So how do we do that? So I'm going to put that lens on. Let's look to what Jesus prayed and how he prayed, where he was, And then let's remember, because Jesus tells them, watch and pray. So let's look and then follow his example when we need to. So here we go. Let's just jump right in. So I'm calling these prayer principles when troubled. Now, here's the deal. There's a lot of times you're going to pray when you're not as troubled. Those are the times when you can pray, I would say, more balanced prayers uh, or, or, you know, uh, longer prayers. There's those wonderful times. But there are times when you're going to have to pray in the dirt. And you you need a fresh wind from heaven like Jesus did. So how, how do you do that? Let's get pretty practical. Let me give you five practices to do based on what we saw Jesus practice on a Thursday night. Here's the first one. Be vulnerable, not just with God, but be vulnerable with others. Don't miss that. Jesus was vulnerable with his Abba, but he was also vulnerable with the three. Stay here and watch. I'm going to go right over there. It probably was a little difficult for them to see Jesus struggling as he did. This is Jesus who calmed the waters, who raised the dead, who fed the thousands. I mean, Jesus... The, the clear, confident leader that he was, and now he's, he's in the dirt. He's agonizing, he's struggling, and he's sweating as if, as, if, as if he is wondering about what should be done. I love how Jesus allowed the three, and it wasn't just training. I believe it was for support as well. 
I told the first service, you and I, we love to be private when we are struggling. But you can either choose to be private or choose to receive support. You can't have both. Now hear me, he didn't just talk to all of his followers. He talked and showed three. Who were your three? One, two, or three. Who's a brother or sister in Christ that knows the extent of the pressure you're under and what you're praying about? What are you agonizing over? I love this church so much. I'm privileged to be a member here, just like most of you. And there's some people right here, right now, that are struggling with cancer, struggling with legal issues with their kids, struggling with their angry boss. There's, there's so many challenges, and many are choosing a few people to be part of their journey in their garden. They're choosing less privacy and receiving more support. So again, back in Mark 14, 34 and 35, my soul is very sorrowful. Be here and watch. And then going a little further, he fell on his face, fell on the ground, prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. I really do believe the disciples were watching and they were learning. And, uh, and that is what Jesus had, Jesus had in mind. Matter of fact, there's another passage from Paul a little bit later on. Bear, bear one another's burdens and so do what God desires and so fulfill the law of Christ. People around you can't bear your burden if you choose unhealthy privacy. And so I'd encourage you uh, when you're under pressure, I don't know if I shared this in, in this service, that literally the word Gethsemane literally means olive press. It's not just where olive trees grow, and they still do, but there literally was a press in Gethsemane that basically crushed the olives into the oil. So it's, it's a little bit ironic that in a place where olives were pressed, Jesus was feeling the pressure, and uh, just like many of you, but he is choosing to be less private uh, with others than, 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 than some of us. So be vulnerable with others. A few others. Uh, and by the way, just on that, our church, we give you an opportunity to build healthy, safe relationships here. GPC, our mission statement, is to raise up committed Christ followers in a healthy church community. The time to start developing that community is not when the crisis happens. Develop them early so you can have the people that you can choose to trust when all hell breaks loose. Or when you're really in something and you're struggling more than you thought you would, you have the brothers and sisters at that time to go ahead and call on. And I hope you take advantage of that. Uh, so be vulnerable with others. Here's another one. Be committed to pray. It's interesting. Jesus didn't just have an attitude and appreciation about the opportunity to talk with his Abba Daddy Father. He literally prayed. 
you know, a lot of times we talk about prayer, we appreciate the privilege of prayer, and we, 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 we talk about prayer requests, but do we ever pray, right? And so again, you know, picked on some of the small groups that I've led in the past, and, you know, we can talk 30 minutes to share prayer requests, and then we run out of time, and we don't even pray, you know? So let's make sure we pray for one another. It's interesting, Luke chapter 11, the reference on your outline here, I'm not going to go there, but when the disciples finally said, Jesus, teach us to pray, in Luke 11, it says, well, when you pray, say, and then he gives an outline of things to say. Now, here's the deal. You can say them silently or you can say them verbally, but say it. A moment of silence is not a moment of prayer. You do need to pray. Now, do you need to pray in Jesus' name? Those specific words, it's not like open sesame. It's not like the send button on your keyboard. No, but you pray in the context that Jesus makes this prayer possible to go above the ceiling. He paid the way for reconciliation. So basically, you can talk to an Abba daddy because you've been adopted in. You've been born again now that you're part of his family as a son or daughter. So again, be committed to pray. Uh, You know, if... For me, um, when I know that there's someone that needs prayer, someone that's asking prayer, I don't write it down anymore and maybe pray later. Just pray right then. You can pray on the phone. You can pray uh, on a text. You can pray in a restaurant. Just pray. It doesn't have to be long. You don't even have to shut your eyes. Uh, But go ahead. Just remember that Jesus modeled prayer by praying, not just appreciating the opportunity. Number three, be honest with your emotions. What does that mean? You know, again, this is how to pray when you're troubled. When you're not troubled, you still ought to pray. And those are the times where you can pray a little bit more balanced prayers. You can pray and starting with adoration, and then you can have a time of thanksgiving, and then you can go ahead and pray for other requests, and then you can get to the things that, that are on your heart. That's not what I'm talking about here. Jesus is in the dirt, and he doesn't, in a sense, do what I would call a prayer warm-up. He's on the ground. God, thank you for breakfast this morning. Thank you for the weather last night. Thank you. No, he doesn't do that. He goes right at it. God, please take this from me. I'm troubled about it more than I thought. I'm agonizing over it. And he, he goes right to it. And uh, don't feel guilty when you are troubled that you go right after what is heavy on your heart. That's what Jesus did. Again, I told the first service, I grew up with not only the Jesus painting uh, of the you know, brown-haired, blue-eyed Jesus in starch robes with nice, clean fingernails, and, uh, but uh, um, I also learned the uh, acronym early on, JOY, J-O-Y, and that's how you pray. Jesus, what is the O? Others, Y is you. It's not bad. As a matter of fact, you start with Jesus and you thank him for who he is and what he's done, and then you pray for others because you really ought to consider others more than you think all that, and then finally you get to you. Listen to me. When you're in the dirt, you can start with you. You don't have to follow this acronym. You know, actually, we even teach around our church in several prayer moments, prayer evenings, ACTS. Matter of fact, we give out a sheet, adoration. We give you all kinds of lists of godly character qualities of God, and you start with who God is. 
A, and then C, confession, make sure your heart's right. T, thanksgiving, uh, before you ask for anything. What has God already done? And be thankful for him uh, and his hands. Uh, and then you get to S, supplication, request for others, and then request for yourself. That is a great outline. This is not what we're talking about. Jesus didn't follow that either. You need to not feel bad when you are honest with your emotions and you dive right on in and say, God, this is heavy on my heart. Thank you that I don't have to warm you up or warm this prayer moment up. I can just go ahead and say, God, I pray about this cancer. I pray about this pending divorce. I pray about my kid that is starting to develop uh, unhealthy friendships. I mean, honestly, you can go right at that. Number four, be persistent with your requests. You can't get around this, right? So Jesus prayed how many times? He prayed three in the garden. Question, why not two? Why not four? Why not one? So what was this, right? Why did he stop at three? I do think that there's an example that he prayed more than once. You look through all the scriptures, not just Jesus. You look at Paul. You look at the, the, the letters. And we are encouraged to pray with persistence. You pray the same thing to the same God over and over and over. Why? And we talked about this before. We did a prayer series, prayer series last summer. It does clarify some things, and it helps develop a dependency uh, on, on, on our Lord, whatever gets our attention, gets us. We've talked about that. But I want to share something else about that. Uh, how long do you pray? How long did Jesus pray? I'm going to share with you why I think he stopped at three. And uh, so let me give you a couple things here. You and I should be persistent and pray for the same pressure situation over and over and over until one of three things is true. Number one, there's a clear yes. What does that mean? He heals. He moves. He responds in such a way that you don't have the request anymore. That's wonderful. I would stop praying when God says a clear yes. But you know, there's another time when God gives you a clear no. That is when God says no and don't bring it up again. When God says no, it's best to go ahead and acknowledge that he has something different, something better for you, and you need to trust him. I don't believe that is what happened in the garden. I don't believe Jesus heard no. I do believe Moses heard no as an example that I want to show you. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 3. Moses. Uh, Moses, the, the guy with the stick and the guy who led the, the nation out of Egyptian slavery. The guy who at Moab is looking over the land and God says, you're not the one that's going to lead them in. He really wanted to go into the land of Israel. Some of you know some of the Christology symbolism of his ministry. He was supposed to strike a rock once where water would come out. He struck it twice. Jesus would only, our rock, be struck once, crucified once. And, uh, but God said, Moses, you're not the one. Moses didn't like that. Moses said, God, can we talk about this? And this is what Moses said. Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan. And the Lord said to me, enough. Do not speak to me of this matter again. But charge Joshua, who you've been developing up, and encourage and strengthen him. You know, Moses did that. And uh, 
I wonder if you and I could handle when God chooses to, that he has something different for you, for me, when God says, no, move on, enough. So when God says that, if God says that, that's a time to stop. And that's a time to go ahead and pray about something else and pursue a different path. But Jesus did the third. I think that there wasn't a clear yes or no, but there was a change of heart. Uh, The distress turned into peace and not just peace. I think that there was a change in the heart of Jesus more than the mission of Jesus because the circumstance didn't change. Uh, Jesus still betrayed. The, the, the torches still came. The Romans still arrested and he was killed the next afternoon. But what changed? I think that there was not just peace, a fresh wind from heaven, but there was joy. There was a joy that recaptured Jesus' heart and then this confidence, this, this, this clarity, but also even a, a compassion as to why he was doing what he was doing. Matter of fact, just one of the last verses I want to share with you. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews looks back at this garden and notice what he says here. Let us run with endurance when you and I are struggling. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who was faithful when the race was in front of him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And I believe that God from heaven embraced Jesus, and there was a heart change, and where there was that that love and joy and peace, and there, the confidence and clarity, you know, I can get rolled in, wearing the gown that opens in the back. I can go through what is coming my way, and I smell the torches. But God, you're with me. And if this is what you're allowing, I'm going to trust that you're going to bring glory through it. And so here's the last one, then I'm done. Uh, be humble with God. So those are the five, I would say, prayer practices to remember when you are in a garden under pressure. Be humble with God. The last verse, Mark 14, verse 36. Remove this cup from me. God can handle your bold request to say, God, I would rather not experience that. Please take it from me. But be humble, yet not what I will, but what you will. God, I'm going to trust you when you say no or when you say not yet or when you don't say yes, you're going to have to change my heart. And that's what God did. So Jesus left that garden with a heart full of compassion and love for you. And, uh, and since the garden, there was never a time where he agonized, struggled, was, was troubled again. Um, there was that fresh wind of heaven And you see this calm, confident leader from that day forward. Because he knew that you and I needed him to have his hand stretched out and say, it is finished. And we can be thankful for that. So I wonder how God is speaking to you related to when you need to pray like Jesus prayed. You bow your heads, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing. I pray that you'd give 
fresh insights and give us the, the wisdom and the desire and the power to apply this, God, uh, especially when we find ourselves in a similar garden. In Jesus' name, amen. So I would encourage you uh, not to look for car keys or wonder how your kids are doing. They're just fine. I think there really is a response you have an opportunity to do right now. As you have heard some of God's word, I hope you let God hear from your heart. And, uh, and Chach is going to give you an opportunity to express that in worship. I'll be right back. Nothing I hold on to 
I just wonder, I don't wonder what I need to give to God. I just wonder what you need to give to God. What or who do you need to give over to God? And if you're going to do that the way God wants you to, you're going to have to lean not on your own understanding. Because your understanding says you try to control it and you stay private. The way you give it to God is you release it. And you ask other people to support you as you do. I lean not on my own understanding. I give it all to you, God. And then I climb a mountain with my hands wide open. Who does that? You're not supposed to climb a mountain with your hands wide open. You're going to fall. I mean, that would be stupid, right? Unless when you climb with your hands open, you're trusting Abba to hold you. Listen to me, you are either going to rely on your own strength or you're going to put your hands up and you're going to say, God, would you hold me? Would you take me? Would you take this? At Grace Point Church, we encourage you to have the relationships vertically with God, horizontally with others, so that you learn to risk living in faith a little bit more. And uh, I think some of you, you walked in here, you were thinking you're just going to do the church thing, but God really is causing you to wrestle right now of climbing that mountain a little different. I hope you do. Let me give you a couple things and uh, on announcements here. Basically, we're making a change because we want to get you out of here. I'm not going to give you all these stats and, and, and stuff but this is a video announcement that's going to come to you this week if you're on our email list. We're going to be working on doing that a little bit better because you don't remember things that are said in the morning. I don't either. So hospitality, prayer ministry, and a mentoring ministry, if you're at all interested in one, two, or three of those, make sure we have your email. We're going to send it to you. We need some more hosts around Sunday. Uh, we're going to be building back post-COVID now, a prayer ministry on Sunday mornings where you can literally have people praying with you and over you. And uh, we're going to bring that back. If you're interested, uh, we want to hear about that. And then I launched a new uh, mentoring ministry vision 
yesterday morning with the men's breakfast. You're going to hear more about that. And it's not just for the men, it's for the women. We want to go ahead and give you an opportunity of living like a funnel, not a bucket. A bucket means people pour into you and things die with you. Don't do that. Poke a hole in that bucket. Let it get out to the next gen. And we want to help you learn how to do that. And you'll hear more about that. Rick's going to come and, and, and wrap it up. All right. Yes. Uh, you will be seeing more of this stuff by video, as, as Pastor Bob said. But there's one thing that you do need to be aware of today while you're here. I've talked to you before, and, and Pastor Bob has as well, about these Discovery Bible Reading Journals. I hope you all are enjoying that. If, uh, if you didn't jump on the train, it is not too late. We're finishing 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, moving on to the Gospel of John. So there's still time for that. You can get one today electronically by texting 858-500-1105. Text the word DISCOVER. You'll get a link back. You won't remember that, so come ask me afterwards, and I'll tell you again. But if you did... Um, Go to the bookstore and put your name on the list to get a paper copy like this. I have that for you. Your, your copy is in the bookstore with your name on it. If you didn't ask for one, you still can. The clipboard is also in the bookstore. Get your name on the list. We'll make some more as needed. We want to get these into your hands. This has been a, a valuable tool from what I've heard already from so many people. So if you're not taking advantage of this, please do. We want to get this to you. Uh, GPC Essentials is on there. That's, uh, that's finishing up right now. Uh, this part two of two, uh, so you're too late. But uh, GPC Essentials is just one of our, our core classes that we do on a rotating basis. And uh, GPC Essentials class will come again. I would love for you to be there if you haven't already. But Discipleship Essentials comes up next in the rotation. So uh, we're going to keep talking all year long about our Essentials classes, and we do want to, to be a part of it if you have not already. It will take place also at 1045. So um, if that's something that you haven't been too. Uh, you will hear more about this in that email that Bob alluded to, so make sure that you, uh, you let us know you're coming. We'll have materials ready for you. And then the last thing before I let you go is the Faith in Action Sunday. You've heard me talk about this already. Uh, you're going to hear me talk about it many more times between now and March 5th. It's happening March 5th. As a reminder, Faith in Action Day is when we close the doors on Sunday morning. We don't meet here. We meet out in the community so that um, we can we can demonstrate to our neighbors that we care about them, that we are invested in our community. And I think this puts a smile on God's face, too. So I'm excited for the return of Faith in Action Sunday. I hope you are, too. If, you're, uh, if you don't have plans on March 5th, don't make any. Come be with us. Faith in Action Day. Love to see you there. And that's it. Uh, God bless you guys. Have a great week.